Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast, Bite Size Edition. This is where we take a clip from a previous podcast and amplify it for you in a snack-sized format. Before we start this episode, I wanted to take a quick moment to ask a favor of you. Please open the podcast app you're listening on right now and hit the follow button. This really supports us growing the podcast and also helps continue to produce high quality conversations around high performance. You listen to us and we want to listen to you. So please also consider leaving a rating and review. Tell us what you love about this episode and what you'd like to hear more of. Give us some feedback as it really does make a difference to what we're doing behind the scenes. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Do you consider your workplace to be a high-performance environment? Performance coach Owen Eastwood, an author of Belonging, joins the podcast in this bite-sized episode to explain why he doesn't like using the term high-performance. Instead, he strives to create healthy environments. This is a cracker. Owen got really fired up on this, and I can remember when we were doing this, Wizard and I went, oh! he just bit and when I mentioned high performance he jumped on that and we wrestled and had a really robust discussion. Owen shares some of the experiences he has had in working in so-called high performing environments and how although they may do some things very well they often get a lot of areas wrong. Owen even goes so far as to state that he will outright refuse to work with an organization or an individual that is not looking to create what he calls a healthy environment. Uh, do you follow or do you read much about the Stoics? I think there's a bit of a rising, especially in America now. It's like everyone's jumped onto this new thing. If you listen to some of the American podcasters, it's been around for thousands of years. Do you bring Stoicism into your teaching? Not explicitly. I've got a good friend who's a coach, who, and that's his philosophical framework for his coaching. I, I do um, agree with some of those basic tenets here, but I don't explicitly talk about it. But I'm, you know, I'm from a farming family. We're just pragmatic. I mean, you know, if you have a bad day on the farm yesterday and something, you know, the fence broke and the sheep ran across a road into someone else's property and all of that, then you fix it. And then the next day, you're not down in the dumps feeling sorry for yourself or moaning and whinging about it. You move on to what's required on the farm that day. So. I've, I've heard, well, it's a great, getting farming into high performance as an analogy. I didn't expect that one, Wiz. But you you talk about the brutality of your work. You might be working with someone to go to the Olympics and it's every four years, and then that moment closes for another four years, or the NBA team, or it's the World Cup. It is quite brutal. And I, I love that you know, what's needed from me today, and that's going to be the ripple effect to other players. Were you always like that? Or did you mm. find in the early days you had to, to disconnect from the emotion a little bit and be a little bit more grounded? No, no, it's definitely come with experience because, you know, I came from being a lawyer to a performance coach very, very quickly and very accidentally. And I wasn't prepared for what the hell it was like to be competing in front of millions of people on TV and and those type of things. So it takes a little bit of a while to get your head around it. I think one thing I would say, though, is, one of the things I enjoy about, I actually don't like the expression high performance, so we maybe talk about that later, but in those environments, one thing I really, really like about them is that people are inherently courageous who operate in that space. The reason being, they do set incredibly lofty goals for themselves and they take on board the complete risk that they won't happen. So I don't, if someone's disappointed, my experience actually 
is that they are courageous people who knew that was a complete possibility but decided to have a go anyway. So actually it's not a situation where people are moping around and, you know, we've got to put their, our arms around them for, for weeks and months. I actually have not found that at all. I've found that people are, are resilient and able to bounce back and reset their goals and go forward again. That's my experience rather than, you know, having to really, really give therapy to people. We can't leave that open loop. You don't like the definition of high performance. Come on, big guy, talk to me about that. You just sort of left that hanging in the air. I'm like, oh, nearly every performance coach, every sporting team I've worked with, every corporate team, you know, I worked at KPMG, we'd always hear every sentence is around high performance. Well, I'll be a bit controversial, maybe, but uh, there's a number of reasons I don't like it, the term high performance. Number one is I think it's been industrialized. I think a lot of people use it in order to sell something to people. You do what you do. Why don't you do something which is high performance? And I think there's probably thousands of people who use that in order to sell to people. So I don't quite like that. Secondly, you know, I've been in certain, you know, a lot of diverse environments. I don't, I'm not comfortable calling them high performance because every environment I've ever been in does some things incredibly well and does some things poorly at the same time. So, so the idea that we have a high performance environment and the perception that therefore everything we do is of a high standard and BS in my view, you know, I could take you into some pretty famous teams and you, there'll be certain things you'd go, that's cool, that's great, that's inspirational. And then other things the same day you'd look at and go, that is poor, I can't believe I just saw that. So we're all flawed human beings. So the idea that some people are high performers in a holistic way and operate in high performance environments is not true. Um, and that absolutely includes me as well. Some of my coaching is of a high caliber and other, other parts of it you would be rolling your eyes at. The other, the other reason I don't like high performance is that I actually think it puts up the wrong question. The question for me that we should be considering is creating healthy environments, not high performing environments. The fact is, if you create a healthy environment, then performance will follow. And what I'm absolutely got no interest in whatsoever is creating an unhealthy environment where we might be able to get a short term performance and we might be able to get a trophy and some bling and some money and then we all move on. That doesn't interest me in the slightest. So what I'm interested in is let's create a healthy environment and that will give people the energy and the trust and togetherness to then perform at a high level. That's the way I prefer to think about it. I'm loving that. And that third one, the, the word that's jumping out at me is psychological safety, where you have that environment you know, built on a bedrock of trust where people can have open conversations, say, hey, oh, and I don't like that. And, and you can give feedback and have a, you know, a dialogue, two-way dialogue, reflective dialogue, rather than just win at all costs. And a, a team that I worked with a while back got results, got to a certain level, and I think they just ran out of path because it was very fear-driven. And yep. that, that gets you to a certain level. But I, I emphatically believe if we could have stepped out of fear, bought in Owen Eastwood, got some belonging and, and really changed the culture, I, I think that team would have performed so much better. And I think it comes also down to what, how you define success. Um, some people define success by picking up a trophy or hitting a, some financial metric. But I've worked in environments where we've been invited into an environment, environments where they've done a little bit of analysis and found that people who have gone through their program are four times more likely to have mental health issues 
later in life than the normal population. So my question back to them isn't, you know, let's do A, B, and C because that's high performance. My question to them is, are you okay with that? Are you okay that people come here, you're regarded as number one in the world, which they were, but you also know that as a result of the program you put them through and the experience they have here, they're four times more likely to have mental health issues around anxiety and depression than the normal. Is that, are you okay with that? That's shocking research. If you, yeah. That's yeah, terrible. but it's not unique. There are a lot of environments like that. You think of all the scandals around gymnastics around the world, ballet. There's a lot of environments where that is exactly what transpires, even in the NFL around suicide rates. And, you know, if we actually want to go in those dark places, it's quite scary. So someone wants to work with me and they say, yes, we are comfortable with that formula, that, yes, there will be some personal cost but as an organization, we maintain number one ranking. Then I'll say, okay, that's your call. I've got absolutely no interest in being part of that. That is not a success in the way I define it. Are you planning an upcoming conference or company offsite? For the past 15 years, I've averaged speaking at over 50 events each year, and I still love presenting at conferences as much as I did when I first started. To explore the different presentations I offer on a range of topics and themes, including physical and psychological well-being, becoming burnout-proof, connection and belonging. That's a new area I'm, I'm really enjoying presenting on. Neuroscience and behavior change, mental skills and leadership and culture. Or if you'd like to understand our fully integrated conference experience with pre-event diagnostics, activities throughout the agenda, including a morning wake-up, energy breaks, team building activities, and digital resources to embed learning. To find out more information and to download a brochure, go to andrewmay.com slash keynotes. But the principles you're talking about, that reframing of high performance, I, I believe if you get that, you're going to get connectivity, you're going to have psychological safety, you're going to have good relationships, you're going to be a very positive influencer on young men and young women. One of my biggest goals, Owen, is athletes I work with are in a better place not just when I work with them, not just when they're with the team, but when they transition. Because there's so many athletes who are at the top of the mountain and then they come rolling down when the contract is over, the world champs is gone, the Olympics is closed, and they do not know what to do. I think you can influence their lives far more outside sport. We know they're more balanced. But I'm, I'm sitting in the position and go, yeah, yeah, I get all that. If you've got a chair who wants you to work with their board or a CEO who wants you to work with their company, sport or enterprise – they're still going to want to get results. Has any person ever pushed back and said, no, mate, you're not right with that philosophy? I need you to get on the winning bus. Well, I am on the winning bus. I mean, I think I might, if you look at my record, I'm involved with teams who get better and become very competitive and, you know, we've won quite a lot of stuff. So people would not invite me anywhere near their building if they didn't think I could help their performance. It's just that I have a certain approach to how you get the best out of human beings and it's based on creating a healthy environment. And, you know, the, 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 that's, you actually just gave another example where high performance is a bit of a useless term. You've got your own definition of it, which I like, and aligns with my own. But I, someone sent me through the other day, I was just sitting at my desk and I got a, me a WhatsApp message. And someone was in a high performance workshop and they just took a photo of the slide that this high performance coach was presenting. And the slide was, people need to fear their leader. <laughs> 
And so that's a high performance, that's a high so-called high performance workshop by a high performance coach. And so that's why I think it's a bit useless as a term. And did you miss a bit? Was that taken in the 70s? Did you see a timestamp yeah. like 1974 down the bottom? I was shocked, I have to say, but I'm at the same time I think about it. And actually, yeah, a lot of people believe in that. So yeah, I, I am only, I'm interested in performance, but I have my own philosophy and approach. And, that, and, and the, this is where actually I think there needs to be a conversation is that people think there's a, there is a conflict and tension between creating a healthy environment and, being, and getting results. I think that is completely ignorant. If you look at the teams who are able to sustain success rather than, you know, financially doping or talent doping themselves up to win one season, if you look at that, then they do create cultures generally of belonging, psychological safety, growth, all of those things, which I think are good markers of, of success for people. Ladies and gentlemen, I can feel a new book coming along. Belonging, it starts with, and it, it shifts to sustaining or performing. Is there a new book in the wings? Do you reckon you'd need to get? Well, I actually, I think that is a conversation piece. I'd love to you know, pick up when you come to Sydney. We'll have a coffee, go for a walk, and talk about that. Uh, I, well, I think like it's even for huge. the purposes of this chat now, you know, I talk about culture in terms of the hormonal impact it has on people. Um, when people are marinating in cortisol, stress hormones, adrenaline because of fear, because they don't feel safe, then that does energize them. That is true. But it isn't sustainable. They will burn out. I mean, if you're looking at what's happening in the corporate world, so much of burnout isn't over um, not doing too much work. It's not stuff like that, actually. It's just a constant state of stress and anxiety, which becomes chronic. Yeah. So. So what I'm interested in are, are environments, and this is my this is the engineering part of the work that I do, is we're trying to engineer environments where cortisol and stress levels are managed and other energizing hormones like dopamine, which we have surges when we're in the pursuit of a goal, and oxytocin, which surges when we are surrounded by people we feel Connection. connected to and we can trust. They are what I'm interested in. And they, and I would argue with anyone any time, that they drive performance um, in a much more sustainable and healthy way than motivating people through fear and jeopardy. Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence Podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience, and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including Matchfit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM Edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com. And we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence.